all my curious comrades, and welcome to the first episode of the Raw Podcast with me, your host, Christine Grace. Today, my guest is Ryan Snow. He's an Olympic freestyle ski coach turned transformational recovery coach and a profoundly spiritually connected human. He's created a 12-week intensive recovery program to guide his clients out of addiction and trauma through a path of self-love, accountability, and connection using holistic practices in order to create a life of intention and empowerment. Listen in on his journey of introspection and experiencing unconditional love as he expresses his own struggles through addiction and trauma. To help realize his wholeness, he incorporated various psychedelic earth medicines, particularly a boga, to embrace his divinely authentic self and live a life he's proud of. To connect and work with Ryan, you can find all his details written in the show notes so I don't waste your time rattling off all those handles that we rarely remember anyway. Now, without further ado, meet Ryan Snow. Well, then I guess maybe just to dive in, I'm wondering if you wanted to just walk us through, um, I guess, the starting point. I always I, t- I tend to find that the starting point of someone's healing journey is either something really, really intense happens or it's like a slow spiral downward into their own version of whatever rock bottom is going to be for them. And I've been trying with different people to try to like, not let them reach rock bottom or trying to help them and like show them things. And I've started to just see that there seems to be this kind of either something, uh, very like catalytic happens in their life or there's, yeah, the spiral down. So I wonder if you could talk us through kind of what happened for you that started that process. Mine was a mixture of both. Um, cool. It took a long time for me to become a, a drug addict. You know, I drank a lot. I didn't party mm-hmm. yet. Um, but like from 2007 to 2014, um, a lot of bad things happened and it just wore me down. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't paying attention. I didn't do any kind of like self care. And I just started spending more time alone and then like drinking on my own and then something really crazy happened going into the 2014 Olympics. One of the athletes, we were out on a ski day and she skied into the trees and became a quadriplegic. And then I didn't sleep for, I don't know, a few weeks. I was like, I really took the burden that it was my fault somehow. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when she woke up and I was standing over her and I was trying to hold everything together. And I did the check, like, can you feel your hands and feet? And she said, no. And I was like, just like, holy fuck. Like my heart just, I like, I died a little bit that day. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like with this team, I was alone all the time. And uh, yeah, I just really took the suffering thing and like really saw what I could do with that. And right. uh, <laughs> yeah, um, finding out about that you can buy drugs on the internet and then doing that. And that's how I, dove into hard drugs basically i like found out like uh methamphetamine promises to like ruin your life you know mm-hmm. and uh, i ordered it and that's how i kind of got into that thing yeah so going back to i i i've had a personal story where i have taken the brunt of guilt before um a friend and i got into a drunk driving accident she was the one driving not me 
Um, but I still had this feeling that it was like us in the vehicle and her boyfriend was behind and he ended up dying. So I, I, I can resonate with that feeling of guilt. Um, but I wonder if you could kind of help, help us understand how that felt for you. Like having, having a skier go off into, into the trees. So many different ways that like the way that I viewed it and the way that they viewed it were totally different. Right. And the trail was a little hard, but well within what I felt their capability was. Um, I will never know why she skied into the trees. You know, we were skiing low. I thought that I took the care to say, okay, wait, I'm going to turn around and watch you and give you instruction. And they had followed me and I just heard her go into the trees. I didn't see how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then I was left with, I didn't have any support. Our federation didn't offer anything that really helped me. Um, in fact, when I went to the Olympics, the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge is I brought this other girl to the Olympics and I was like barely struggling. And they had this psychiatrist there um, that like promised to help. And all he did was like attacked me and tried to get out of me what happened so that they could like come to some resolution. There was no like support. And that action, when that guy like did that part for the Federation, um, I embodied like, holy fuck, I ruined this person's life, you know? And that was the whole story. Then I was like left alone uh, for the entire time. I didn't ever ever have any kind of help or support or reach out to anybody. Um, My view of like people, like it hasn't been, I haven't had the best relationship with psychiatrists that are like people in that field. So um, it wasn't an option for me. Every time that I've kind of reached out, it has never worked out of like as support. It was always something like that was malicious. I felt malicious towards me. like judgmental, like really like, yeah. like they had a view of what happened and their view is right type thing. They like, the, um, there's like a history of, uh, yeah, how that help has been portrayed, right? Or like right. it's been, yeah. And now like I'm in the field and I've actually met some really beautiful counselors and I adore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting how it, it was like perfect that I had that viewpoint of that time because it offered exactly what I needed to really embody the suffering that I needed to understand of my self-love, you know? And I really needed to feel that thing as my experience here as a human, you know? Like yeah. I could embody so much like misery or shame or, but I was like embodying it all before. It was just like, that was something I could really cling on to, to embody like, a lot of guilt and shame and it was like served up perfectly you know so do you feel that that you did kind of like attach attach to it that you attach to the idea of guilt and shame as being like this new paradigm that you existed in um well I think like because my childhood it wasn't the best you know mm-hmm. and there's like trauma there and so I I was living my life like that super functionally but like mm-hmm. I had a lot of self-loathing and guilt and shame in my life. And like, I put off this portrayal of like being happy and smiling all the time, but deep down inside, I like really didn't ever like myself that much. I was always just externally 
doing the things I needed to do to fit in or like to be all that I was cool or whatever. It wasn't mm-hmm. ever any, like really self love situation, you know? Mm-hmm. And then yes, when I was in the hospital with that woman, uh, like sitting in the waiting room alone, they flew this doctor in from wherever Florida and like, there was never any like ask of me. So I was like, I built it up in my mind of like, fuck, it was my fault and all of these things. And there was like, people were always trying to do their best for me, but it all, and even if there was that kind of support and love at that time, I probably wouldn't have been able to accept it. Right. 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 Or it was there and I didn't see it or wasn't able to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I did attach those like that amplified all of the things like there's probably 30 or 40 things that were like super life ruining events between 2007 and 2014. And that was the one where it like culminated everything. And I was like, you know, I really kind of gave up at that time Mm -hmm. in survival 100%. How can I survive? You know, and then we're interesting creatures, you know, like that survival Mm -hmm. game, like instead of waking up miserable every day and yelling at myself, like, what can I do to soothe that? And that was the drug addiction, right? Or alcohol or women or whatever. It was like, that was enough to comfort me so that I could escape those thoughts for Mm -hmm. whatever, half an hour, 45 minutes. And then, yeah. So, so then you said that you got into ordering drugs online, you got into meth and anything else, or was it that mainly people tend uh, to have their drug of choice, but some people like a, like a concoction. So, right. Yeah. So like, I was a little bit of a purist. I did order meth. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I did that totally functionally for like a couple, a year or something. Wow. And then I remember, um, in the, when I was like, at some point I was like, holy fuck, okay, I'm not going to get caught as a meth addict. This is ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go, I got to do cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Drugs. Um, so that I could, yeah. Cause it's classier, you know, it's yep. like yeah, not as <laughs> shitty. You're not a shitty person if you're a cocaine addict. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I wrote that one, like to the very bottom of what cocaine can do to a person with like right. meals. I mean, um, yeah, the loneliness and like lack of connection and all of those things. Like I shuttered myself away from my family for a good year. And I was like in the garage doing these fucking terrible things. Um, yeah. So I guess, I don't know why I said that. But That's okay. Um, the, it was like yeah. lack of connection and really being alone and allowed to like really see where, how low I could go, you know? Right. Yeah. So then you tested that kind of low boundary and what, when was the point for you that you were like, holy shit, something needs to change or I need to, I don't often think that we think of things in terms of like, I need to heal this, but it's like something in my life needs to change is usually the feeling. Um, I hope my brother doesn't get mad about this, but uh, I have a twin brother Mm -hmm. and uh, we got caught, um, doing drugs the same day. Uh, my oh. mom caught me and his boss caught him on the exact same day. Whatever that is, spirit delivering the message that you need to start waking up or whatever, but that's, that happened. Um, and yeah, I just got caught by my mom. I was like, 
really um, that point of where like it had really taken control at that, like it was like starting to use needles. And when you do cocaine and needles, it like really takes over your life. I've never, like it's a totally different drug. Um, mm -hmm. um, so it was at, kind of at the start of that where I got caught and then, um, yeah, I really had to ask myself like, what do I want? You know, because then there's like, I don't know how I was a functional addict for so long um, and nobody had said anything or like, you know, I had a job forever. And um, but at that point, people knew. And then it was, they were like, holy fuck, he's a drug addict. You know, you need help. And all of the things started happening. And mm -hmm. yeah, I was always a people pleaser, like wounded person. And I was like, I can't hurt all these people, you know, even though I was hurting them the entire time by being so absent. But Right. Um, and, and I think that's the hardest part that we, we don't seem to see sometimes when we are kind of self-harming, but self-protecting at the same time, like those two things kind of go together and we think we're protecting the loved ones around us from the pain that we feel and that we don't want them to see us or we don't want to hurt them more when, when it all is just filled with pain. Right. It's all pain. Yeah. And, um, yeah, writing those in the end is really tough, you know, and mm -hmm. like, love, like, I'm still on that path of what is it to love yourself? Like, mm -hmm. that's a really difficult path for me. I don't, it's like really drilled in there from my childhood. And, I uh, feel the same. I understand. Yeah. So um, it's also good, though, because now I'm actually on that path and I can see people uh, in their true self, like no matter what you think you've done and like however you're wounding yourself, seeing you for like a lovable person is like such a blessing because I've been there. I've seen myself in my lowest points and it wasn't that I was a bad person. I mean, I was doing, if you, if someone looked at it on paper, they'd be like, holy fuck, this guy's pretty fucked up. But um, I never felt that way about myself. It was just the shit that I was doing. And then mm -hmm. to be able to meet people in that, um, I think is like the real blessing that I have now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then from there, and it's so hard. I've tried to, I've tried to conceptualize my own healing journey <laughs> yeah. and it's like this piece comes in and this piece and all these different like things have to overlay to like help kind of get us to a better functional, happier place. Um, but I'm wondering if you could kind of talk us through at least some of the main steps or the kind of key pieces that you would say really helped take you out of that. Um, yeah, well, so uh, when I got caught, people started paying attention. So then I had some sort of connection with people that cared. You mm. know? And it didn't go with like, you know, there's a lot of like ego stuff that you have to get over, like, because people push you to be a better person and you're mad and angry and sad, and, like all the things you don't know how to like even separate those emotions at that point. Um, but the connection part is super important. Having someone that loves you, that like wants you to feel better and that can hold that space for you. That was like mm -hmm. really, really important. Um, the part of vulnerability, like of just of being fucked up and fucking mm -hmm. up and sorry for the swear words, but like um, seeing yourself as like not a good person and like wanting to do better for yourself and for the people around you. That part uh, was the hardest part for me. Mm -hmm. uh, like being vulnerable and seeing the wounds that I've created, seeing how I was actually treating myself, understanding myself as like 
being able to transform and not just being one thing. You know, you're not just a sum of your parts. You're like a true sum of your parts that can like mm-hmm. really be everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then accountability and paying attention to myself. And like there was practices obviously that helped like doing yoga. Yoga was great because it's breathing and stretching, but what it helped me with is like understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes and mm-hmm. that you can sit in that. Like, you know, when you're just starting out, there's a lot of uncomfortability. You're really not flexible. The breathing and moving and time thing, it's like awkward. Like the whole thing is like, it kind of sucks. There's people in there that are so at it and you're self-conscious, you know, but then staring, you know, anyway. So that process was great. Um, and then meditation. Uh, mm. I did my rehab at a place called the Chopra Center. And... Uh, okay. I didn't have any kind of really spiritual background until I went there. And then going there, the place is pretty magical. The people there really like hold you in a place of self-discovery and uh, you do meditation twice a day. And in that space, like hearing the voice in my head for the first time, um, instead of like, just like, no, you're good, like whatever, muddling it over, mm-hmm. and hearing how mean I was to myself. Um, it was crazy. Uh, so that, that's what meditation gave me is like, I could hear that voice for the first time and understand like, okay, this is how I treat myself. No wonder I'm doing these things. I'm like really, really mean <laughs> to me. Okay. And then, so yeah. And then like learning how that my thoughts are changeable and becoming outside of them a little bit and then understanding my emotions and not just being reactive to my emotions and creating mm-hmm. that where I can actually make a choice in my life. Cause like when we're in addiction, we're not actually choosing our life. It's just mm-hmm. something that's taken over. It makes mm-hmm. you feel better. You're miserable probably at some level. And that thing offers an easier path. It gives you instant mm-hmm. rewards. It like soothes you in some way. Um, and you just don't, you're, you're not addressing your needs that you are a person that needs to be comforted, you know, mm-hmm. and thing comforted you so realizing those steps and then being able to like put it in and work like work something for yourself like a lot of the things I do is in the morning I check in and I'm like how are you doing today um I feel a little off what is it that I feel a little off about then moving that energy around or like having some structure of like making sure you get meditation in every day or like something that so that you're living a life of an intention you're not just like gliding through it. There's like actually some steps that you're doing for yourself. Um, the Rock actually said something a couple of years ago that I saw on his Instagram was like, we go to work for eight hours a day and we don't spend, you spend zero time on yourself. You go home, mm-hmm. you, dinner, you watch TV, you might read a book, but like there's never any time like, okay, right, I'm going to work on you for 25 minutes. And then like really going inside and seeing like, what do I need? You know, like when people were, would ask me, like, what's your plan at rehab? I'm like, I don't even, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Like, you know, and it was really annoying. Like one of the conditions of me coming home was like, I had to have a plan. It's like, I don't, I don't know. Like I haven't lived my life ever. And now I'm coming back and trying to do that. And so like some of those questions are like, you're not aware. Like, how are you supposed to answer that question if you're not aware and nobody's there? You know, and you're just like, you need to do this thing. And you're like, I don't know. Like, 
yes, I want to be better. But then you go back into your environment and all of the emotions of guilt and shame, like especially around family and I had a beautiful wife, wonderful child. And um, it's just like you went right back into that emotion. Like I wasn't equipped to um, see that or be in that energy, you know, Mm -hmm. like that was one of the things that I work on is after um, people come back from rehab, like you have to live your life. Like rehab is easy. You're, mm-hmm. there's no pressure there. It's all, everybody wants you to be good. There's food is delicious. You know, you're like in the most supportive environment of all time. Mm-hmm. And then you have to actually curate that in your life, which is, it's difficult. A you thousand know? times harder. <laughs> yeah. Like the hardest thing you can ever do is change who you are. You know, come to terms with who you were in the present, address all of the needs that you had that weren't being fulfilled, and then move forward in a life that you're proud of. That's like the hardest thing you can ever do in your life because it's all it's all you. You're the only one that's accountable there. There's not mm-hmm. anybody else that's like going to be like, oh, here, you know, um, be this way. People mm-hmm. can offer that to you, but like for you to live that way, I think that's why the self-help world is multi-billion dollars because you take a course and you do it for 15 minutes and you're like, yeah, that was great. But then it's like, how can you hold yourself accountable to those steps? You know, and Mm -hmm. it takes like, we're always learning new things and understanding ourselves in different ways. And I don't know, that's kind of the cool part about being here. Mm -hmm. All that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the struggle with integration. Basically. That's what I've Mm -hmm. seen. Like I've done, Um, some of the most transformative pieces for me was actually with psychedelic work. I've done, I've sat with, um, psilocybin actually was the first thing that gave me the break. I I suffered with depression for quite a long time and psilocybin was the first time. Um, and I, even with antidepressants, psilocybin was the first time that I remember like actually hitting a level of happiness that felt real within my being, not to, to me, the antidepressants and, and I still, I'm happy for, I, I think I, I don't ever want to tell somebody not to do an antidepressant if that's what they're feeling called to do, because it can take you up a notch, right? It can kind of help alleviate some of the things, but what I, what I always found was, okay, cool. Now I'm happy, but that's, now I have all of this stuff that is still keeping me unhappy. How do I integrate all of that blah into yeah. my life in a way that's going to become really efficient and actually like beneficial to each step that I take forward. So how did, how did you do that? What was your plan? Yeah. Well, um, I ended up, um, doing the psychedelic path too. Okay. Um, after leaving the Chopra center, I had all these skills, but yeah, like I went back into an environment where I was overwhelmed. It actually felt like a wave of shame came over me and I like felt it in my body, just like squashed me like a bug. Like it was crazy. And then suffered in that for a little bit. And again, not really knowing how counseling works or like anything like that. I just like suffered and kind of withdrew again. Like I let my body take over and that stress response. I'm obviously a, a um, flight person. Like I just shrunk into like nothing mm-hmm. and then just ended up in the be using and then trying to like scramble and hold on to like some meditation and like, wasn't doing it every day, but it was like a real struggle. And life was a struggle again. Like I, and that nothing really got better. I got some great skills, but everything was still pushing on me. I still felt terrible. I was doing a job where I was alone all the time. I was alone like 
I was coaching a team from Brazil. I didn't really know Portuguese. Um, so I'd leave for like these camps for like 30 or 45 days. And it would just be me in my hotel room. And then we would go ski or train or whatever in the day. And then I would come home. I would never, didn't have any friendships. Um, so like all of that stuff was, it made life really hard. Like I was mm -hmm. doing this like tie to this thing that was like super hard to come over and like being alone with myself without the skills of like actually going inside and like loving that process. It was like the worst thing ever. Um, so anyway, I ended up doing uh, ayahuasca mm -hmm. and it was really great. Like I, it was cool. I connected to the universe. There was like, I'll never forget like my subconscious going, okay, it's okay to heal. And then like purging for three mm. sessions in a row, like outrageous, like stuff came out of like every single hole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was beautiful in the end. I like understood, like I got to see past the veil and like saw the astral realm and like there's some really cool stuff that happened. Wow. Um, but again, it didn't like solve any of my problems. It was like a beautiful mm -hmm. experience. It connected me to my highest self there was like some real beauty, but like my way that I could live in my real life, it didn't help me understand any of that stuff. Mm. So, uh, but there I found out about this other plant called Iboga. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a week later I was at an Iboga retreat and that very first thing, that plant, um, spirit, whatever it is, it like that was my, I, my intention for the medicine was like, I need to just feel better. Show me what it is. And it was the hardest 24 hours of my life so far. I looked at every mm -hmm. single time I screwed somebody over, every single time someone screwed me over, all of the ways I betrayed people, all the ways people betrayed me, all the things, all the ideas I had that were like yelled at at me as a kid, like how my veil, like it showed me exactly who this person was, how people view me, how I view people, and what, why I was causing so much like shame and like why life was so difficult for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I told you about that, like hearing that voice in my head about how mean it was. That never stopped. Like it was just constant. Every single thing when I'd wake up in the morning, be like, oh, fuck, I hate you, or like something like this. And like, mm -hmm. um, so. The day after I woke up from a boga, I'm sitting beside the pool and I was just like at peace and I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, what the sh is this? And there, the voice was just like quiet. And I'd never experienced that before in my entire life. And I was like, holy shit, I can actually like, there's like a table there and we were later people started to come out and I'd never been able to sit around people and like not wonder like, what should I do? Should I make a joke? Should I, is that guy funny? But does he mean by like, you know, like the chatter mm -hmm. was incredible. Mm -hmm. And then sitting with people at, in peace and like able to like be present and engage in a conversation that was like not, like that was actually in presence um, was amazing. So that mm -hmm. like is where I actually started to understand that you can have peace, you can transform and um, move forward, like in, in the capacity of like actual consciousness. Um, so yeah, I love the way that psychedelics can change your viewpoint and your perception. Mm -hmm. And that, um, yeah, taking those things with actual integration and living your life in that way. That's like the work that happens after, but 
to be able to get that idea or like live a consciousness that's like real. Um, that's the beauty of those medicines. I feel. Mm -hmm. So did you just do a boga once or was it, is it a multiple time kind of thing? Yeah. So I did it. Uh, you do it twice at that retreat. The second time, um, it was really great. Uh, it was like less stressful. I got to see like some rainbows and whatever. Um, but it's the one medicine where you're guided. And so the second, um, well, there's a way that you can do it in this Ouija tradition where it's guided. And, uh, so the second session you like meet your soul and you're, you become friends again. It's like, how is he mad at you? And he's like, yeah, he's a little pissed. And like, you like talk it out and you hash out, um, to be a better person with your, like, with your soul. And then you can go, you're guided to go to the moon and you can like see your ancestors and talk about your past and understand some of the ancestral healing that needs to happen. It's really cool. It's like a really neat thing. And you do this, you go into your body and you can detox, like you fly around with your soul and you're like detoxing yourself. And uh, that process actually pushed a piece of needle out of my leg that was in there that had broken off for a couple of years. I woke up the next day and it like fell out of my leg. <laughs> it was like, Whoa. like I, um, so yeah, uh, I have a really deep relationship with Aboga now. Uh, I went to Africa last summer to become okay. initiated and do a rite of passage into this tradition. And uh, we did, I did like this, there's like some beautiful healing that can happen like there on that land. It's like the original place of the earth. You can actually mm -hmm. like feel that kind of thing there. Um, so yeah, I'm like initiated into that tradition. I love that medicine quite a bit. Yeah. Mm. Initiated though, does that mean you can hold ceremonies or no? You're just kind of on the path to do that? Well, the, well yeah. Um, the initiation process, yeah, like, so um, me and the medicine have a really intimate connection. So now, like, when I'm doing, like, other medicine work or um, holding space and ceremony, like, the Bwiti are always, that energy is always around. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, they call that medicine the grandfather. It's one of, like, it's a really, like, it made the astral realm or whatever that experience is, whatever spirit is, it made it really real because it reflects exactly in my life. Like there are things that happened there, the advice that I got, I could do exactly that in my actual life and it made things better. Um, yeah. That's the power of that medicine for me. It's like Interesting. Yeah. So one of the, in Africa, like I felt really stuck before I went to Africa. Like COVID happened. Um, a business fell apart. Like there was just a bunch of like crappy things that happened. And then I went to Africa and we're in that initiation and I did this beautiful healing uh, um, with my twin soul. So you like were guided and I went and met my brother and we hashed it out and um, we talked about like everything, like it was crazy. And I uh, flew around, deep did a detox with him. And when I landed back in Canada, um, it reflected instantly on everything here like a business opened I had like a ton of clients came through um there was like a really clear path on what I do it was like wild it was like holy smokes like the um spirit world really is a thing and like when you repair mm -hmm. the things in the spirit world it can reflect into your actual present time like physical world um as like actual things so 
yeah, I don't know. That was the, the blessing of a boga for me. Cool. Yeah. With <laughs> that, with that discussing out with your brother, did yeah. was he able to have any idea yeah. of that consciously? So his yeah, like he felt relief. Like we hadn't talked in a really long time, and we I landed back in Canada, and he sent me texts. Like and um, I did the same thing on that. Uh, December 21st conjunction thing. And then we've been talking a little bit again after. Um, so yeah, actually reflects like he, I don't know if he's conscious. I don't talk to him about what we were doing, but right. there's a gateway that opens of some communication and some sort of healing there for him. So yeah, it's really, that's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. I've, so I've done a lot of work with ay- ayahuasca yeah. personally, and I have, I've seen that happen in, and I've always attributed it more to just the shifts in myself, like yeah. that I would see a situation from a totally different light. Like sometimes I find it gives you like the bird's eye view, not the like me, Christine's view of what happened, but like the bird's eye view of everyone's viewpoint of what happens in a situation. And what I would find often is that, um, the way I understood it anyway, which feels a little different almost than a boga, is that I was just the one changing, not that things within the field had healed. But I'm wondering if maybe it was all, all of it. Yeah, well, one, one of the things that ayahuasca showed me was that, uh, like, when you're in your room, you do ayahuasca with a lot of people, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, mine was fairly small. I think there's like only 25 people, but you could sit up and I could see, like, how energy is connected through everybody. And Mm -hmm. everybody in that room is healing everybody in that room at some level, Mm -hmm. whether you're Mm -hmm. conscious of it or not, but you can see the energy flow on the exchange. And like, it's got that vine thing, like the serpentine thing. We're wrapping around everybody in the room, giving love to some people, healing some ancestral stuff in some people. And like, it's like a really magical thing. Um, Yeah. Anyway. So like that field of energy where we are all creating is Mm -hmm. a thing. It's really apparent in ayahuasca. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So where iboga, like you're doing it on a mat. You're not aware of anybody else in that room. Okay. Usually done between seven and eight, seven, nine, ten people uh, at a retreat. Uh, and it's done with a blindfold on. And it's really like you go really inside. It's a discussion with you and your soul. Um, all the things like pertain to you and how you're acting you know, it's a very, it's like a male energy in that way of like really direct um, information, mm. mm-hmm. like where ayahuasca, it's a little bit bigger. There's like a lot of creation. It's really mm-hmm. like, can be mysterious and playful. It can be really serious and like dark. It can like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different experiences that can happen in that thing. It's mm-hmm. like really feminine, you know, ultimate choice, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. Um there is legend that says that, uh, so like in Pangea, the way that Brazil and those countries were and the way Africa is, they like broke apart and those two was like female and male energies like splitting like that. Oh, That's interesting. The like really t- big teacher plants that we've decided are like the big ones here, you know? Oh um, man, I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. And yeah, that's just legend that's been passed. I don't know, it might be just somebody's cool idea too. But it's interesting that like Aboga lives in the Congo, Gabon, that little shelf of Africa. 
And mm-hmm. ayahuasca is like rampant in South America, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. but it's like really a plant that takes over where aboga is really hard to grow and only grows in that one little area. Oh, interesting. So did you, the first time you did a boga, did you do it in Africa then? No, I did it in Costa Rica. Um, Costa Rica, the, okay. That brought it to North America and he settled in Costa Rica uh, for a few years. Me trained like five or 10 people there. And um, yeah, so that medicine went to Costa Rica and there's like a bunch of aboga retreats there now. Um, there's a couple of people that are trying to grow it there. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, cool. Costa Rica. That's like really, it's a healing womb of the world right now. Like there's yeah. so many retreats there, are yoga retreats or sound bath retreats. And yeah, it's just a really beautiful place for to go and like do that type of work. You know? So coming back from Africa then for you, because of the depths that Aboga kind of takes you to, um, did you feel then you were coming back with a plan of like how to move forward? Um no, that, that was a frustration <laughs> because I went to get that, right? Right. And um, what I came back with was this beautiful healing with my brother. Mm. Uh, and so it was totally different than I thought I was going to go. I went there to like really get sure on what I wanted to do and like all of those things that like were the blessings before. But what I got was this beautiful healing um, spiritually with my brother. And then like, so now I don't have like a part of me that's lost. And mm. it just naturally flowed into my actual world. So like everything, there wasn't any stops. I wasn't stuck anymore. There's like a free flow of energy that could move forward. Yeah. So yeah, no, it wasn't planned um, at all. <laughs> yeah. So then how did you find integration? Like with all of these experiences, how did you get to kind of where you are now? Um. Well, uh, so using, like, I've been coaching for a long, long time. Yeah. Right? Uh, so there's like a process of understanding personal development and understanding that aspect of how coaching works. And then mm-hmm. having like a deep relationship with some of these plant medicines, making the spirit world really real for me. And mm-hmm. then being to embody like some of these like gifts, you know, um, like I have never had a shamanic teacher but like in these medicine journeys now I'm open to understanding the spiritual gifts that you get. So like mm-hmm. um, really being able to hear those uh, ideas, like, so like the feather, what it actually is to me, how I can use it as a tool um, that means something for me, not just like what it's supposed to do and other people's mm-hmm. things. I'm not just taking something from people that I have no right to take, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. those are so powerful, you know, like the drum, when you can drum with somebody, and like meet with that frequency and understand like the ancestors that come through that it's really magical. And mm-hmm. so like creating a connection to spirit that was more viable that I could actually understand and embody um, gave me this like certainty to be able instead of just like guessing what I'm doing, like really trusting in spirit and holding that faith and like being there. Um, I do energy work on people and that's changed immensely instead of like really just guessing and like holding like Riki, a Riki master. And it was great, mm-hmm. but I never really connected a hundred percent to that idea of like the lineage it's all one mm-hmm. thing. Then you're also like having to have energy come through a bunch of different people before it gets to you. And like, I didn't quite understand it. Um, so yeah, now there's like this energy that comes through that I can actually connect with. That means something to me. 
and I can feel mm-hmm. it, and add intention to it, and like make it really beautiful for people. So like those types of things have really changed since I got back from Africa. And I guess the idea of like stepping into embody whatever a coach, this transformational coaching and healing thing that I want to do is um, really embodying that as like a partner with spirit has, I think that was like the process that made it really fruitful and blessed for me is like really understanding that and not just like as an idea of like, yes, you need to have a spiritual component to your life, but like understanding yourself as like, holy shit, we are, we are spirit. And like that, yeah, coming through and like in physical form and how it all kind of like works in symmetry together. Um, it's really cool. And like making mm-hmm. it real for me, because like as a guy, you know, we're not as intuitive, like into that. It, I, I don't know if that's really fair to say, but um, all of the retreats I've gone to that have just been like yoga or meditation, there hasn't been a lot of guys there. It's been pretty mm-hmm. female energy centered, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, so growing in that and trying to understand that and like bringing that forth has been the real blessing that came from my Africa trip, I think. Cool. Yeah. That's so awesome. And you said that it's, um, you spoke about intention and I find sometimes that word gets thrown around a little bit without, without it really, um, yeah, I, I just wonder if you could give me your explanation of what that means to you, the, like the idea of intention in your work or intention with energy or intention generally. Yeah, so um, it's just living. You, you can't not live, and that's a double negative, but live your life without intention. You're going to be experiencing, you're going to be in your life uh, is whether you pay attention to what you're doing and then mm. doing it from where a place that you are actually making a choice. So like intention and energy work is like calling in the highest good and the highest grace and just like really loving the person, whatever they need to go through and whatever energy needs to be moved in like the most grace for the person, you know, like, so that's Mm -hmm. my intention for them so that like I can add that prayer to the work that I'm doing and trust that their system of people or energy that they believe in can be influenced with that type of love. And maybe it can take a little bit of, that shame away or raise the vibration a little bit so they can experience themselves as something different. Um, Intention for me, yeah, it's just like making a conscious choice of the way that you are, right? Mm -hmm. So like we live in a world of fear. That's why we're so affected of by all the news and all the things and we're creating more fear. It's just the way that we are, right? And our job is to, try and go up that scale of emotion so that we can get into like some of these like really cool creative parts, right? Of like joy, joy is way up there, but like, um, I forget that scale now, but um, getting up out of fear, the next level I think is where you can actually start to create. Um, Like giving people, like holding space for people in a way that's loving so that they can experience that for a second and then start to make that choice for themselves in a way that's like really caring and not doing like, you know, fear or mm-hmm. I should be doing something some way. Right. right? Yeah. And like, that's just a fear of vibration, but you're doing the thing. Right? I'm meditating because I don't want to go back to doing blah, 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 blah. Instead of like really just enjoying what that could be for you. you know? And so like when we're doing these, 
intentional exercises, like being vulnerable and like understanding yourself as probably being fearful or being in shame and then being able to sit and like understand what that is. Like what is, what's the effect of that shame? Well, my mom told me I was a horrible person because I didn't practice my violin or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then like changing the narrative, like, oh, there was love there. They just wanted me to be a better person. Like, however, you can change the vibration of that memory. And then that like instantly will help you move up a little bit in your own self-love, in your own consciousness. You can experience something like, oh, fuck, there was love. So then understanding like, okay, that's what love looked like for me. And then you can change your whole thing. That kind of went off tangent a little bit, but. No, no, that was good. No, no, that made, that made a lot of sense. Um, so then I guess that kind of brings us right into what exactly you do. Like you, so you're a Reiki master, you said, and you do energy work with people, but you also do transformational coaching, correct? Yeah. And a lot of, uh, psychedelic integration work. So, okay. um, what happened mostly was I got, uh, so I did the aboga thing, right. Mm-hmm. And I found this beautiful, like transformation happened. And there's this company called Being True to You in America that they do um, training for people that want to do psychedelic integration. And they really found their step in doing Ibogaine integration. So people like go into this medicine, a heroin addict, and they come out not a heroin addict. And then mm-hmm. how you live your life after that. And, mm-hmm. and it happens over seven days. So like after seven days, you're a totally different person. But then what do you do? Right. Like you're just right. you don't have great things for drugs, but like you're still the same person. How can you right. build your life? Right. So um so that's where that integration work happens, like really becoming understanding your personal truths, who do you want to be, um, and how to create that. Um, so mm-hmm. like a step, a lot of it, there's some accountability stuff at the very beginning, but it's really like discovering like what do you enjoy, what are your needs, what are your like, what do you need from life? How can you have a work connection? How can you treat your relationships as like something more than just getting home and watching television? Or like, mm-hmm. how do you like interact with people? Like a lot of the time, um, that communication piece or like sitting with somebody and like not trying to just get your point across or do the thing. And like, how do you have like an actual relationship? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of work around that kind of thing. Um, and these like psychedelic medicines, they offer like a gateway into something new. It's like they can, they're big experiences. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can get there after years of meditation or, you know, with like counseling work for, you know, a number of years. But those things offer like a jumpstart where you can mm-hmm. actually like really see a huge shift. And then like utilizing all of those gifts that you got and like learning some kindness and compassion towards your old self. So you don't just like feel bad about who you used to be, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. And then, um, yeah, really embodying all of the lessons and the tools that you get out of these things and like utilizing all of the ways that you can be. Um, yeah. So I love that part. It's like the cool. most magical thing to see someone transform out of like real self harm and then like living a life where their families, like they love each other and mm-hmm. kids that are engaged with their children and like really giving back in a way that's like different than they could have ever imagined. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I found for me and for other people's healing that I've kind of witnessed, like my, my partner 
has gone through quite a quite a crazy healing journey um, with a really bad skin condition. And I think one of the hardest parts for anybody is to see themselves as they are in this moment, not as they want to be or not as they know they can be one day, but how to how to be as they are in this moment. Because I remember, I remember for me, there was times that I knew I was depressed, but I didn't, I wasn't real with how depressed I was. Right. Right. So there's like this, this illusion that it's like, Oh, it's, I'm okay. I'm functional. I'm going to school. It's okay. Everything's fine. Um, And so how, how are you able to help somebody get to see and I, I don't know how, I, maybe it's going to just come out really badly, but how to see maybe them exactly as they are faults and all, you know, right. and accept that. Yeah. So we just, we just talk about that. Like I'm a pretty open okay. book. Some of the horrible okay. about it, who I was. Mm-hmm. And I think just being able to talk to somebody and not blame them and like people mm-hmm. say some crazy stuff. I'm like, yeah, I know. I get it, man. That must've been really hard to live like that. You know, right. and like people are usually not used to that. And um, I also hold the fact that like people don't need to be always being better, you know, like you're really allowed to be the way you want to be. And it's okay to feel suffering. Like you can Mm -hmm. be depressed and to understand yourself and love yourself in that space. That's totally okay. You know, like Mm -hmm. when people have addictions and they have harmed their spouse and their spouse is mad and you feel bad about it. I mean, all of those things need to be processed. You can't just Mm -hmm. smile through that chat. Like there needs mm-hmm. to be some real truth to this book, you know, and all of it's perfect. It's like, so it's so blessed to be able to do all those things. And I think the way that that is, is like understanding that the experience is the blessing. Like your addiction was a cry for you to try and just do better and to understand mm-hmm. yourself. more. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like there's no right or wrong way to feel better. There's no perfect way to be, you know, there's, there's like you and your truth and like embodying your truth. Like I don't want to make everybody happy. I just want everybody to be truthful with themselves and mm. live a life that they're proud of, whatever that looks like. I mean, I'm not here to like tell you that you need to trade cryptocurrency and be a millionaire, right? Like I want you to like wake up in the morning and be like, holy fuck, I'm like ready to like do something today, whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be a hippie in a van and live in the trees, man, God bless you. I love that for you. <laughs> go do that. Yeah. Go do that. Have you had a client then? Cause so an, an interesting concept to me has been the idea of gaslighting yeah. and gaslighting absolutely exists. Um, yeah. But I looked up the definition the other day and it was basically like challenging someone's belief that they've come to or something like that. And I had to pause for a second because like I, I went through about two years of really, really deep work having to undo belief structures that I had created. I, I have a twin as well, actually, interestingly enough. Um, and but but she was born with a brain injury. And so it just kind of shifted our dynamic in our family a little bit. And there's lots of healing I had to go through with that. And and a large part of the healing was challenging the beliefs about myself, about our family, about things that had been had been, I had, I had miss, I had miscreated in my mind, the story I had mistaken. And so when I started seeing that this word gaslighting, 
kind of getting thrown around all the time, I I started to get a little worried personally that are we then going to just let people be in their stories all the time? Because if someone, if no one had tried to pull me out of my story, like I had friends who literally were like, Christine, you're not okay. Like, just like straight to the point, you need to go get help. Like, and, and, and weren't willing to let me be in my false beliefs of where I was anymore. And I just wonder, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried of how much, how much we're kind of letting people sometimes be in, be in that. Yeah. (laughs) Hold up a mirror for people. And, yeah. you know, we like get curious about like, is this actually true for you? Because mm. the way that you're acting, is that actually providing you safety or like whatever, like you just can inquire, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to, because your idea of how a situation is, isn't how it's being lived. Right. Mm-hmm. Bypassing that stress response activation of like, when you tell somebody there's something they're not, and then they're just like fight or flight, and then you can't you're like in the subconscious. I mean, you're not actually doing any work. Like they're just going to give you a people pleasing thing or whatever. Right. Um, So being curious and playful and like um, vulnerable with yourself, you know, and like, I think the gaslighting where it's really harmful is where it's done maliciously, like to change. Right. So like, if you are like, (laughs) like parents do it all the time to their kids, like, Mm -hmm. Stop being so sad. That wasn't even a big deal, or whatever. Your knee doesn't hurt. Blah blah blah. Whatever that thing is, like right. that horrible things. Like you're implanting your own viewpoint on another person, right? right? Where um, the work of like being curious and you know transformational work that is done in the spirit of like understanding. So you're just mm. trying to understand truth instead of like trying to give your truth to somebody. Um, you know, because okay. I truths that are mine that I like have modified so that I can actually feel good. And, you know, with all the things that I've done. Right. And like Mm -hmm. some of them are justified. Some of them are probably really, you know, um, damaged memories. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's okay with me. It's how, you know, I can like live with myself and they'll be unwound as my future goes and I'll be able to confront the things that I've done in a way that's in love. And like, there's like the way the process happens for people, right? Mm -hmm. So like sitting in that process and understanding that the darkness that they see in themselves, that's like a protective thing. And they might not be ready to see that darkness, right? So like have them be curious about who they are. And there's like a little piece they'll see. And that little piece is like, what's up for healing. And you can say like, okay, well, can you forgive yourself for that? Or like, what mm-hmm. part of her can you forgive? Like mother's mm-hmm. will and all of those things. Cause like everything like is hard to say, but everything is done in love. Everything is love. Mm-hmm. There's like, it never will feel that way, but there's love in everything that's been done to you, whether it's love of themselves or love of money, love of situation, love of whatever. But there's like mm-hmm. always the energy behind it is nice <laughs> right so like trying to find out what part of it that they can confront so like to keep them out of that so keep their body like not scared right mm-hmm. keeping them up in that little vibration of like curiosity and in that way we can like really get inquisitive with ourselves and like face some of our hard truths like if you can face a truth and not be judged there's a lot to be said with that right right 
and see yourself like, holy fuck, maybe I wasn't the best person in that situation. You know, right. like, like whether you have to make amends out of that, that's up to you. But like forgiveness of self, it's always just like a reflection of your own creation, right? Like we're always mm -hmm. our own punishment and our own savior mm -hmm. that way. Like, and so, yeah, seeing yourself as valuable or like mm -hmm. those as things. worthy, right? Yeah. That's a common one. Yeah. And that worthiness though is like, can you, are you worthy to see how bad a person you were at some point? You know, right. like holding yourself a little bit accountable and understanding right. love. And like, that's where that forgiveness piece, like ultimate, like radical forgiveness is a big thing that we talk about. Like, can you actually live in a way, live with yourself? You know, that's been a lot of my healing is like, can I live with like the things that I've done? And there's a lot of it that's really hard. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff is still in the process of being forgiven and unwound. Um, but it's there and it's like open for healing, but mm -hmm. being vulnerable and like seeing like how you have actually hurt someone. Mm. That's like the thing that we can't do. That's anti-survival. That's mm -hmm. like so hacking that the body's mechanism of survival and bringing it into the conscious mind, right? Which is like the hardest thing that we could ever do because we're really hacking our own biology of like an animal of who we are and being the true mm -hmm. human we can be. That's like the process, right? So keeping people out of fear or like out of stress, like de-stressing them and taking away little chunks that are confrontable mm -hmm. of the idea. So that like, as, um, like you mentioned, our memories, they're just a duplicate of the thing that happened. It's not the actual mm -hmm. thing, right? So mm -hmm. that duplicate is put in us in a way that like was something that we can digest. It's not the thing that actually happened for anybody. That's why we all live our own realities. Like that telephone game, like that was a truth that we played in, as kids. Like the reality changes for, per person. It's not what that, it's like what can be translated, right? Right. So seeing people in that idea and in that love, it's like the thing might not be the actual thing. Um, like a lot of people in these psychedelic experiences, they see like some horrible, horrible things. Mm -hmm. And it's just a representation of the truth. Some of it's very true and kid is up for healing, but some of it that like feels like it's wounding you. Um, there's a truth in there for you to look at to heal or mm -hmm. something like that, you know? Um, so, yeah. so there's two things I want to touch on. The first one was that your idea, um, and I completely agree with your, your what you said, that love, love is literally in everything. I remember there was quite a few years ago, I, I wrote a post on Facebook that I said, it's love or fear, choose one. And are like, choose which one you're living through. And this guy who, who always brings about really interesting conversation said, well, Christine, can it not be both? Can, can you not have both present at the same time? Like, and he gave me the, the idea of a parent telling their kid to put a helmet on. That is living through both fear and love simultaneously. Because right. you're telling them to put a helmet on because you're scared they're going to hit their head and have a brain injury and you love them. So you want them to protect that. So it's like all these things simultaneously. But I think sometimes we have an idea, especially as kids, of how we should be loved or what love should look like. And then oftentimes when that version of what we feel we 
should have had and didn't get, or it should have looked a different way or whatever, that idea then can be translated into we weren't loved. This literally, this is this is my own story. Like I, I had it in my head by the time I was 18 that I was never loved, that my parents didn't love me and all of these things. And it was, it was a deeply held belief because of, and I can pinpoint the different experiences I had that created this belief, but but we have to, how, how do you help people unwind to see love in everything? Right. Because like, I know, I know how my, my person helped me do it. And it took like two years, sure. <laughs> but it's a long process. It took you 30 years to make that, you know, it took right. years to make that idea. And then it took you another 22, 25 years to like live in that. Right. So it's a process. And mm. like the truth, you'll, you'll like, to understand the actual truth, like you'd have to understand all of the different perceptions you had, all of the different ideas that go into that memory, how you create memories, you know, mm-hmm. like it's massive. And so coming to a place of like understanding that you might not know your truth, right? And like mm-hmm. creating a way of being that you are okay with, right? And like really understanding yourself as transformable or just okay and lovable and worthy of anything mm-hmm. right um so like it's the viewpoint of the way that you can live your life i don't think we can ever unpack all of our trauma or even mm-hmm. understand the ideas that went behind it i mean it's massive i think there's like we have all of our five senses that we're aware of but then we have like all the ones like was i cold gravity pushing down on us um was I afraid that there wasn't like water or food or like all like, there's so many different perceptions that go into every single memory that provide the experience that we were trying to do. Right. Um, so like just understanding what you want, like, what do you want? Do you want to live a new life? Do you want to feel better than the life you have? Do you want to understand the truth about your childhood? Does it really matter? You know, mm-hmm. like, what are we doing in this present moment? Who do you want to be? You know, how can I live with less anxiety? What was causing that anxiety? My fear of whatever was given to me when I was younger. Can I come with mm-hmm. terms with all that stuff? Is my life actually okay? You know, like, am I actually living a prosperous life? Am I giving back? Am I in service? Am mm-hmm. I, I want to be in service. Do I want to be selfish? Like all of the right. things. Who do you want to be? You know, like I always say be in service because it makes me feel better, but it might not make right. you feel better. Maybe you right. do. Maybe being selfish makes you feel good. And who am I to say that that's a bad thing? You know, mm-hmm. it's frustrating for me to talk to you, you know, but like, I get it, you know, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. That yeah. idea of selfishness actually is one, um, is one that I, I have often struggled with. But there's a level, I, I, I've started to think of everything kind of on a spectrum and it depends on where you want to land on the spectrum or how you want to be in life. And I, there's a period of time where I kind of myself would never, I thought selfishness was the worst, the worst thing someone could ever be. How dare you be selfish? Right. And part of what actually started my own healing journey was realizing I needed to be selfish. Yeah. I needed to care a bit more about me and my truth and who I was to actually be able to step into my power, to see that I was worthy, to see that all of the things that we've just said, but it actually stemmed from 
having to actually be a little bit more selfish. And there's, right. there's a level there. And I'm, and I, and I still struggle with the idea of selfishness. Like it still is one that I would probably term a bad trait, though. I'm trying to navigate everything encompasses negatives and positive consequences to them. Yeah. Um, but is that, uh, is that something that you found for yourself was a, a struggle that you had to get through was like the idea of selfishness? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it is crazy. Like, cause when you're an addict, you're really selfish, right? Mm-hmm. But you're the way, like, I was just trying not to hurt anybody else, you know, mm-hmm. or like I was trying to cope and get through whatever, I, however I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of selfishness, like, you're, I don't know if you're ever actually aware of that fact, you know, just like from your heart, what, how are you living? Are you giving the most that you can for people? And how, mm. but in a way that you're honoring yourself. Like if you can't love right. it, like when I was depressed and like really doing, like I was doing things from my point of view for everyone else, but mm-hmm. I was really selfish. But like, cause my viewpoint, I was wounded. I could mm. never love myself. So because I couldn't love myself, I was trying to do everything for everybody else, but I was just being an asshole. <laughs> you know, like it's weird. We're weird on our perception. Of like right. the way things are, it's it's really hard, and you can only see through your own vision, right? right? So that's where like these mirrors of like a coach comes in, and you can actually like get get questions. Like someone will say something, and they're like, is that actually how you view how that is? Because this is how it looks like from the outside, right? right? And like be really honest about like how it is, because like the way someone is. And the way that they see things and it's like their truth that they're trying to live, it's really hard because you're the only one in there, you know, mm-hmm. and like externally when you're say something and it's like combative, but it's just your program, you know, and you're like, from here, you're like, you know, this was, I was meant this, but like it wasn't portrayed as that because that your dad treated you that way. And that's how you received love. So the way you give love is harsh, right? Right. Right? But it's like you're giving the thing that you think you're trying to give, right? So like all of those things, it's so complex. And so like that thing of selfishness, I think it's it's never going to be viewed the same way from you as from somebody else, right? Right. Yeah. So I think really being honest with yourself and like doing self-discovery and then seeing how it's actually reflected in the real world, you know, like... Um, do people view you in some way? Like, and like, do you have awkward relationships? Are relationships hard for you? You know, mm-hmm. how does it actually reflect in your actual life? Mm-hmm. Do you have a hard relationship? Can you have a give and take? Are you always taking? Are you always right. giving? You yeah. know, and it's like, just because you give a lot doesn't mean that you're not selfish because you're your own, you're just trying to feed your own ego of like right. how to. Did I give enough? Well, was it done in love or was it done because you felt worthless? You know, that's the intention part. Like, are you living an intentional life? Are you living your real truth? Are you actually aware of yourself? You know, like that self-awareness piece, I think is the most important part of like actually being aware of who you are, how people perceive you and who you're Mm -hmm. actually in your real life. And um, that's the biggest thing of like, how intention is put through, right? Like all but, the corporate, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go. Uh, like people that like live that race of like trying to be the best, right? Like um, 
they're the most selfish people in the world because that is their MO, but we like idolize them. You know, mm -hmm. like who doesn't want to be Michael Jordan? But Michael Jordan couldn't be him unless he was the most selfish person in the entire world and took everything for himself. It was mm -hmm. just the way it is. Now, of course, he's older and wants to like give back, but like that person has to be that to do the thing. And he made, mm -hmm. he was a great, he was amazing, right? And we idolize the things that he did. Does it make him a bad person? No, it makes him one of the greatest people to play basketball ever. And it gave him the resources to do the things that are beautiful now. So like, I don't know, that whole subject is like more about like harm than it is about your own actions, right? Mm. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I find, I find that so interesting in what you just touched on there that like, like someone like Michael Jordan, who, who is so idolized and anyone up there, um, I'm trying to think of someone else, but I'm not super versed with celebrity, but I, I watched the the Netflix special on Michael Jordan and I found it really, really fascinating um, that kind of the paradox of our society and how we are is that we idolize these people who yeah. exhibit the traits that we then shame our friend for exhibiting. Right, totally. And yeah. then, so we're actually like stunting their growth to become something when we're idolizing them and being like, why don't you become like that? But don't do that thing. And it's like, yeah. we need to be able to open and widen the views of ourselves and each other and, and give, I think a little bit more space for each other to right. show up as they are. Cause I know, I know that's been my, a huge struggle in my own self is, um, it's just really understanding that there isn't a truth. I, I've been this kind of truth-seeking person where I thought that everyone just needs to understand this truth. And this truth is obviously the most real and, and gives like, it's going to be the answer for everybody. And it was really in partnership with the guy I'm with now that, that I started to realize how different our truths are and how when I can honor his truth and he can honor my truth, how much more harmony we live in. And and, and some of that comes to being, hey, I need to be selfish right now. And so I'm going to ask you to drop that thing for me because that's what I need right now. Or right. he's going to be selfish and go do whatever he wants because that's going to serve him. And, and kind of lessening the negative impact of the idea of selfishness or the negative impact of the idea of, um, I don't know, another kind of more negative, yeah, well, negative viewed of, emotion. All of the ways that we're in our absolutes. You know, like imagine if... Right we could actually talk and compromise in our lives. Right. It would actually be pretty awesome. But instead, mm -hmm. we're all trying to live in our ultimate truth without ever listening to another person's truth. You know, like the media, like all of the things is just insane right now. You know, with mm -hmm. everybody's idea of what they feel is true, right? But none of it's based in any 100% truth. I mean, all of the stuff that we're living through right now has just an amazing gray area. Mm -hmm. like, the COVID thing, like, should mm -hmm. all this be shut down? Probably not. Does it harm people? Heck yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, should we, like, come up with a better way? Yeah, but we can't because we need to argue. Right. Yeah, like, I think that's where we're actually going is understanding that we're not just one thing. Like, we are a comp comp uh, composite of, like, a million ideas and a million different influences and a million instances of your life. Like we are, we remember like our memory is all the things that's ever happened to you throughout all time. So like mm -hmm. think about what an idea that is and then living that in a present moment, of course it's hard, 
And then mm-hmm. when you feel attacked, how can you actually just sit there and be your best self and not want to lash out and make the threat go away and hack our mm-hmm. actual and be present in our life? You know, that's the hardest thing. Like there's people out there that actually are around people that make them feel like abrasiveness or like friction so that they can practice trying to be present. And like, that's just masochistic to me, that like whole thing. But it's so beneficial to be able to sit when someone's attacking you with an idea and like present your side Mm -hmm. in a way that's like full of love and compassion. And I don't know if anybody's ever gotten to an actual resolution, but it sure is nice to be able to try and present that to the world nowadays. Mm And it's, it's seemingly harder now than it has been to be able to get to those places of compromise. And I think some of it is that is because life has been kind of isolated. I think true conversation has been limited and I'm, I'm a big, big, big believer that conversation is the way to work things out. I think anyone who knows things knows that that's what has to be. It can't, and, and not written not texting, not, I, I refused to text boyfriends a long time ago when I was upset because it never works out. Um, I engaged in Facebook dialogue a few times this year and every single time it doesn't work out because I mean, miscommunications happen face to face when I have hand gestures and I have emotions and I have all these other things. And then we think that I'm going to write this out in without any emotion, without any view, without any intonation, without anything. And my actual point is going to come across, but that's what our communication styles have gotten like kind of broken into is more fragmented, like Twitter is like 200 characters or something. I'm not even really on Twitter, but I I found that when it first came to be, I remember thinking, oh, this can't be good. We're going to start having 200 character conversations now like I I just remember thinking oh this is going to be the breakdown of actual compromise of actual understanding um but do you think it'll just kind of my mom my mom is a person who always says to me it kind of will swing one way and then swing the other way and everything just kind of goes on this pendulum um but yeah I mean I'm sure I feel like there's a question in there somewhere but I'm just wondering how you feel about that um I feel that the world is getting a lot better I feel that okay People are able to express themselves more. People mm-hmm. are like getting this idea about a conversation that goes back and forth um, in a way that's never happened before. People are voicing mm-hmm. their opinions. People are actually like as stubborn as it seems and like as arrogant as most people are. That eventually is going to turn into a conversation because people are just going to shut down the conversation. Like it's not going to like the argument. The fun of the argument is going to like fizzle, and like the enjoyment of actual compromise is going to come through. I believe the world's a way better place now than it's ever been in its entirety. Mm. I believe that, like we are on the precipice of this like beautiful place that like all of the people that are doing spiritual work believe. Mm. Um, but uh, it's hard not to get caught up in like what sells and the drama of like Facebook, mm. and the drama of like all of these conspiracy theories. Um, it's fun. I mean, those stories are amazing. Is it reality? Yeah. Maybe. Can you change it? Probably not. Um, right. What can you do to like live? Like, and that's like living, living out of fear, you know, like all of the right. ways that we see all of these arguments, like what made you mad there? 
is it worth me actually seeing another point of view? Probably not. So, nah. you know, like what is the truth? Is there a truth? Probably not. You know, like this vaccine thing. Were those vaccines made to help heal this disease? Yes. Is there a possibility that it's done maliciously? Yeah, of course. You know, possibility is done for healing. Yeah. You know, like, is it potential that both exist simultaneously as well? Do exist 100%. You know, mm-hmm. like, what is the big deal? You know, like, what's the truth that's going to move forward from this? And mm-hmm. it's always going to be like, that's like one of the plant medicine teachings is always going to be perfect. The experience is mm-hmm. going to be different than anybody's experience ever. And that's going to add more value because it's got something different for spirit to experience. Mm-hmm. And we get to create it. So like, what do, what are we creating? That's like the big thing. Like, what are you creating in your world? Right. Do you want to get involved in this COVID conversation and like get angry? Sure. <laughs> That's like perfect for you. Then you can actually see some of the parts of yourself that you probably don't like that much. You right. Know? Like, you know what? Do you want to just be a happy person and let things flow and do that? Then that's good too. Are you spiritual bypassing? Maybe a little bit. Are you ready to see the real wounds in people? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Am I ready for that now? Eh, not really. It's a Thursday. I'd rather do that on the weekends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's mm-hmm. just so complicated. And it's so blessed. You know, like that's like the true essence of being here. It's like understanding that all things are possible. All things have good and bad. And what are you going to do? How do you want to live your life? What is the way that you're going to do the things for yourself moving forward? You know? Right. Yeah. And if everyone just started to ask themselves that question and got really, really honest with themselves, that's what I think is yeah. the way forward personally, that, that right. someone asked me once, if I could just snap my fingers and every, and like everyone did something, what would it be? And it would be that they looked in, inward. They looked at, at themselves, stop searching for the changes that need to exist out, which there are, and there's absolutely abundant changes that need to happen out there. But I personally think the work needs to start in here. And that's that's my own view. Well, we're, yeah, we create our reality. Like even mm-hmm. to the fact that like you, if you, like I actually noticed I was on Facebook, like and when we were in isolation, I did the 14 days a couple of times and I got into like reading Facebook and it like made me angry. I was mm-hmm. creating a reality of anger. Or like mm-hmm. uh, when I was in my drug addiction, I saw police officers everywhere. Because that was like my thing. I was like afraid of like blah blah blah. I was right. creating that, right? Right. And so we're creating this thing to exist. And there's so much truth in what you said that if you go inside and we all create our own little bit of version of happiness of like us, and that doesn't mean materialistic stuff. It means like giving your daughter a hug and like seeing a dog and giving it a smile and like all the mm. things that create beauty in this world. And we start to do that just a little more. All of the things that are shitty, they just can't even exist because they, you know, like um, at the beginning of the year, there's that war that was going to start in the Middle East of Iran or something like that. And they like, it just couldn't take hold. There wasn't enough anger in the world for it to like do its thing, right? Like, so wow. that, and it fizzled. Like, that's where I felt like we were like really, like in March, I was like, no, our world's doing great. We can't start these things anymore it's like it's not taking hold you know and i think that that's where we are now like in this like real thing they shut everything buddy down like they're trying to create this this harmony and like faction 
and whatever that is for spirit. But like, if it takes hold or not, can we like create ourselves out of it? Can we make the choice to like pay attention to ourselves and move forward in a way that's like really loving or compassionate or even just a little bit more compassionate towards the other, you know, it's, um, Hmm. I I didn't know that about, sorry, what were you saying? I think that we're just living in a really beautiful time. Yeah. I, I appreciate that view so much. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm someone who I, I have a tendency to get a bit caught up in the, in the negative. So I actually didn't even know that about Iran because I don't, I have to stay off of news media. I have to stay out of it because I just seem to internalize it really quickly and staying out of it is maybe one day I'll be able to manage it more within myself that I can be more informed. But anytime I try to stay informed in what's going on, I just get, it just kind of, it's, it's like a self-care thing for me that I've learned. I just need to actually live more my life and kind of more secluded, but connected. Um, and, but that is something I, I always find interesting is that idea of connection in, um, I think Johan Hari is the one who really put that forth about the opposite of addiction is more connection. It's not anything else. And I'm wondering if we're going to have this interesting thing because, because the internet has connected us far beyond anything has ever connected us globally. But I also feel like there's certain disconnects. Um, But one thing I have seen with the internet is pockets of people that felt isolated can find their pocket of human and feel right. connection. So I wonder if even though we're still trying to navigate social media, trying to navigate these new mediums of connection, if in the end they're going to be one of the best saviors for us. Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, if the internet was not run by three or four companies, it would be uh, like it would be amazing, but we can right. see our worst selves there. And it's manipulated to because of the cells, right? Like, so like, mm-hmm. it's not exactly beautiful, but it offers all of these other beautiful things. Like you can get any information you'd ever want on any subject. Um, you know, you can even buy drugs and become a drug addict there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like it's absolutely 100% possible for all things to exist. And right. uh, is there beauty in us understanding our worst parts of ourselves? Yes. That's how right. we can bring them to light and choose to make them different or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you go down a rabbit hole of like hate, you know, it at least shows you that that's in you. Right. And like, if you have never been aware of it and you're just living your life hating people just because that's you, you know, and you're never shown it, you're never actually faced with like, holy shit, I'm on these pages and these are the groups I belong to. Oh my God, maybe I should look. Mm-hmm. Right. Was that a top behavior? Is it like an actual truth for me? What do I want out of that? Mm-hmm. Right. All so different and we're all so valuable. Mm-hmm. I think that is what the internet offers. Is like you can actually, you're a unique person and your experience is totally valuable and to connect to the parts of the things that you want to connect with. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you've been able to make that choice yet. And that's what's coming. It's like we're actually going to be able to like be conscious of the choices that we're making and conscious of the energy that we're exchanging with the people we're exchanging it with instead of just existing in this thing. And Google tells you what to believe and your viewpoint, whatever makes you feel best. That's mm-hmm. like how you've been living your life, which also had its blessing. But then you get to actually see like, do I want Google to tell me what I should believe? 
You know, mm -hmm. should I do another search engine that doesn't correlate data to profit? Right. And I do, it doesn't track every single search that I've done, whatever it is, you know, like, yeah, it becomes a conscious choice. And then that's the beginning of change. You're like becoming conscious of mm -hmm. any you're doing, you know, and that's where it all starts. And like everybody makes a little bit of a difference, you know, slowly. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that concept of change, I think is something I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and how much how exceptionally progressive kind of pushes have started to be um, yeah. kind of in the political out there landscape, just this really kind of push for, for progressiveness. And, and, and in many ways, I think it's amazing. Sometimes I think it's a little bit over pushy and kind of a disrespect for how change actually happens. Right. And, and, and one day I just kind of thought the other day, like, all these people who are pushing so much change, I wonder how much change they've ever actually been able to make in their life because right. they would understand when you try to make a change, how hard even just for me to choose like, man, I want to, I want to create a new habit. Let's say it takes so much work to create one new habit in a 24 hour period of time for a single individual. And it's like, if we started to have respect for how much work goes involved to changing even the smallest part of ourselves, we might actually be able to give more respect to the little changes that that have taken place very quickly in just my own lifetime. Right. Well, and those and, progressive um, things, like some of the liberal agendas, uh, they are beautiful on paper. But like, on paper. Person, and you give them those things, um, they need support to get out of the place that they are, or else you're just um, imprisoning them in their own idea. And we are- 100%. In our worst vibrations, you can be mm -hmm. the worst person, and if you're supported in that, and that makes you feel safe and like allows you just to be in that stress response thing, and that is your idea, then you're going to do that, no matter mm -hmm. how powerful it is, mm -hmm. right? So like, right. Uh, I look at like Los Angeles, where people like they've let people live on the streets and in these ten cities, and they don't have social programs or like education or like any of the things. Um, yeah, that idea is like beautiful or like the idea of safe supply or like harm reduction, mm -hmm. drug addiction. It's mm -hmm. like a big action of mine. It's like the actual things that's going to help people get out of that, like to feel safe enough to make change. Right? Like mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the big things is we need to help people feel safe enough in their own body that they can choose to make the change or not. You know, but in addiction, you're in stress response. You can't make a conscious choice. It's like the thing. Mm -hmm. um, but doing harm reduction and like letting people just have their, like to do it and then they're free to continue in a way that's harmful is not really doing the harm reduction part. Like having a place mm -hmm. where you can go and having them like have a person to talk to, that's so important. But like handing needles out isn't the best choice, right? Or like safe supply is so important, but like, how do you help regulate that for people in a way that's like sustainable and mm -hmm. not just if that is actually, if their drug addiction is hurting them and they aren't being functional, how can you mm -hmm. help do that safe supply, but in a way that they're tapering and reaching out for change, you know, mm -hmm. like creating that opportunity for change for people like the most oppressed people their ability to even see that they are worthy of something is different and holding them as safe and doing like that part, but not offering them the optimism of change 
or like bettering their life, I mean, you're just really more oppressive because you're just keeping them right. in their place. Even though they might not OD, they're still not out, like being productive for themselves. You know, right. I'm not saying everybody needs to be a CEO, but like interacting with their life in a way that's beautiful, you know, like so many of them are so creative, you know, but like offering them poetry and like making that somehow valuable or a painting and making that valuable and like offering that part of their service as like a exchange for the harm reduction things or whatever, however it looks. Right. There's gifts that those people have that can exchange for the thing. Anyway, I got way off topic. But yeah. No, 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 no. That was a beautiful topic because I think it, I, I think that's right on topic because um because I just I I I've questioned about safe 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 sites myself. I've I've wondered if they're if they're going to function in the way that we magically think they're going to be able to function, like we can have this idealistic view of what something could look like, but then how it actually works when someone is there is going to be a totally different thing. Um, but but what, what one thing I did think of is in, at least in a safe, in a safe injection site, let's say um, where someone can actually watch them kind of inject, there is a minute amount of shame that is taken away because now they're not in an alley doing it by themselves. There's actually like, this is accepted. This part of me is accepted. I can right. do this. And, and even though I don't accept this in myself and I don't like this in myself, because most, most people who do drugs, as far as I know um, myself, when I was an addict, I did not, I did not like the addiction part of it. Right. There's, there's aspects of it that we don't, that, that I don't think anyone is going to sit there and be like, yes, I love this about myself. There's, there's a kind of compromise we make within our own being when we're in that place, right? And I do wonder if that good can happen if the space is held in a non-judgmental way. And I think a fear that I have had is that these safe injection sites are going to be a place where people can go and have it, but they're just going to feel judged the whole time by anyone right. there. That um, part is in the subconscious. So like alleviating that, I think, is really tough. And yeah. making it okay in an addict's mind, it's just, it's not, you're not doing that good, right? It's not right. like, you're like, you're okay. You know, it's like, they're just doing something somewhere where it's safe. It doesn't rip up their vein because they don't have to use a dirty needle. Like there's like all of the basics that it is in an addict's mind, right? I think where you change it is that if there's some sort of exchange, so they actually feel value for themselves, you know, like, um, whatever that looks like, but we live in a universe of exchange and of duality, right? So like if you're basically in your lowest vibration, you can possibly be, which is if you're a drug addict, mm -hmm. you've let your body 100% take over your spirit or like your idea of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you create a different idea of yourself, you know, mm -hmm. by adding some sort of value and that value is like some sort of like, it could be talking to somebody or like, I don't know, even like petting a dog or like, you know, like how do you feel love for yourself in a way that is actually outside of your own view, right? Mm -hmm. And like sitting in one of those cubicles where you, like people are watched, but you're not like interacting with somebody there as somebody's doing that. It's like, you're doing it by yourself still in a cubicle where you're watched if you have symptoms of OD and then you leave, right? And there's like people mm -hmm. there, but it's not like, 
a loving environment. Right. And right. Yeah. So like that's where those things lack. And like, honestly, who do you find that's going to work in a place where you're watching people shoot up that can possibly die that can sit there in true love? Like that would be a very, very special person. And that right. would be a where I would expect you would want to get paid a lot of money because like every day you're going to see somebody OD and every day you're going to have to somebody Narcan and you're going to have to be there in love with them. And how do you not become jaded in that? You know, like mm-hmm. all of the EMTs or like, uh, and like any of those people that are in those help arenas, you know, it must be so much work to try and stay on the part of the side of like being in service, you know, mm-hmm. you people over drink, you know, too much and you're pumping their stomach in the back of the ambulance. How do you not like hate those people? You know, like, why the fuck are you doing this to that person yourself or whatever? You know, it's like those types of people are like really blessed that can hold that space in love and Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe create pure love. In pure love and like really create maybe more programs that help those people that are in service sustain that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, like that might be some way forward. Because the people that are like really in their lowest place, it can't be expected of the burden of thing, things to go to them. They're already burning all of their own shit, right? Mm-hmm. So expecting them to like curate their own self-love by being in a harm reduction place is a big stretch, right? Well, that it's like that idea. And I, I've gotten, I've, I've had some kind of discussions with people about it that you need to love yourself first before you love someone else. And it's just a false idea because we learn love through the relationship with others. Yeah. You know, we like, I, I had some terrible relationships, you know, but what I learned through those relationships was a mirror of how I was loving myself or not loving myself. And also how I was allowing myself to be treated sometimes, you know, it was just like different things and experiences that we do have to go through for our own learning, for our own growth, for our own transformation that I think sometimes these quick one-shot lines, I'm, I'm a person who I almost hate memes. I hate one-shot lines. I just find they're such, they generally don't ever have the full picture. And if someone's just like, oh, okay, I just need to love myself more. Cool. That's a great concept. How are you going to learn to do that? Right. Well, How are like, you actually- like, you know, like those one line things, there's always a lot of truth. Mm-hmm. Like, identifying with that truth, like the truth, like we're all one thing. Like, how do you identify with that? You're you, you know, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, so through some of these experiences, like psychedelic experiences, you can get the idea, but like to live from that truth that all things are good. Like, I mean, it's like the hardest, you, like identifying mm-hmm. meaning something for yourself. Yeah, I totally get that. And that depth of awareness, that's why, like, I feel people that have an addiction and really view the worst parts of themselves and choose to change that and love them, love that, like, that's a more whole person than somebody that just lived their life and everything. Like they just pretended it was all good, you know, mm-hmm. wounds, but like never delved into like anything that would harm themselves or like whatever mm-hmm. that never would like, feel pain. Yeah. And you know, there's like blessings in that too. And that might be a life that you needed because you've done so many other lives of shit or whatever your level of spiritual awareness is. But that whole like understanding yourself as whole and understanding all the parts of yourself is like the real blessing of like the free will thing of earth. Like being a human being offers you the ability to experience all things. 
And mm. we are capable of horrible things. We are capable of beautiful things. Mm. But to understand it, you need to understand it. You know, you can't understand real joy unless you understand how bad it can be. You know, right. like, there's like some truth in that. Right. Um, and, but being medium the entire time, that's also good. You know, like mm-hmm. list and go being a monk and like going to a temple and doing the ashram thing and like loving everything from that point of view, that's really also beautiful. Mm-hmm. So like all experiences are good. Mm-hmm. I think the more depth, the more you've suffered. <laughs> like right. that, that whole thing of like how we choose our experience here and choose our parents. That's like a vibration you go into where you get the opportunity to choose or like to experience that, like the bad things, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like something spirit wants. You want to become whole. Yeah. You want to choose the darkness or the good, mm-hmm. you know, like actually it'll be a choice that you make, mm-hmm. right? like your consciousness. And I think that's in some, for some of us who are a little bit more, maybe spiritually, in tune um it's it's a it's a it's a common thing that we say like oh we choose our life and we choose the the lessons that we need to learn to evolve and grow as a spirit and and i have an innate understanding of what that means for me from all of the work i've done but i often wonder how do we help somebody who's maybe just starting this journey to understand that concept um well for me i i it's just a truth that's mine but like right i only understand spirit as like a gatherer of information. So your soul is just gathering information. So you're going around Mm -hmm. doing different experiences. You can't not exist. You're infinite. So it's just something to do. And you're trying to figure out who, what you are, because you're all things. So all things, um, all things being like, you're all things, right. And you're trying to figure it all out. So, um, when you come and you see like your, a way, right? And you want to understand more. And like when you think of like, if you're all things and you can't be hurt, and you're like, oh yeah, I could go, this guy could tell me I'm a piece of shit and I could murder somebody and not feel bad. And like, oh yeah, man, that sounds like an adventure. But then you get here and you get in the vibration and it like, you get that information and you're good. You know, you're like, holy shit. And like, that's that karmic cycle. You only punish yourself. Like I need to make amends. Like that was kind of what happened. I think is that we did a bunch of things that were bad for mm-hmm. like lower vibration and they were sticky, you know, mm-hmm. like raising yourself up out of that as a being is hard. That's where this transformational thing comes in where all mm-hmm. these like, ancient knowledge, like that was instructions of like how to do bad things and then get yourself back to being a bright spirit again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that gathering of information of lifetimes like i think that's what we do so mm-hmm. um when you like i don't know when i when i almost od'd i like saw the part of like where we pass on okay this goes back to like we can like really go back to the whole thing so uh in that big bang theory thing that happened right so like everything exploded and it's everything from like one particle of consciousness to god-like particles of consciousness right and, like formed galaxies and like whatever right so Let's pretend you're like a smaller one and you're just gathering stuff, gathering stuff. And you end up on as part of a planet and the planet like starts to grow and like you're 
water. You're part of water and like water eats away at some land and you're like, the idea comes like, oh, I can create change on something. And then you evolve into something that can grow and you become a plant. And like a plant is like, oh, I can talk to all these things. I need nutrients. And like you learn more about the ideas of what life is. And then you blossom and you're like, oh shit, I can move. And then you like create into something else. And then you're like, become a amoeba or whatever that can split. And then you split and you become blah, 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 blah. So then we like imagine all of the information that you hold that to become a human. It's mm-hmm. like an amazing amount. We've done so much growth, but we're still just trying to figure out what we are. And then mm-hmm. so like we've consciousness has created these things, these human bodies that have free will and we learn and we can interact. And then now we've attracted spirit that's like big that has never been a physical form. So we have all things that have like grown from like what earth was as a consciousness to us. And like we have big things that can come in and become us. And we have like, but we're all just the one thing. We're all from that one big bang idea, right? So like if we go to like the consciousness of, so our universe is enough idea, right? So like a universe is enough of a whole one. So let's just like make it that, right? So mm-hmm. we're eventually going to become all of that information as a, as a galaxy, right? Like imagine mm-hmm. all of the information that's happening, all of the different experiences, everybody's thing is um, unique, you know? Like every time something happens, it's unique. It's, it's more information for the whole to collect and to separate out the wholeness of like all things that can be created are being created, but have been created because they all came from the one thing. So you're just discovering that self is new, right? And that's what makes everybody so special here. You are so unique because every moment that you've lived is for the whole. It all goes up into that whole consciousness thing. Our whole planet is one unified field that we are existing in. And so like everything you do and everything you be like whether you want to or not it's existing in this thing mm-hmm. and so like that idea just like helps you become more responsible because you're kind of responsible for your own way of being and it's right. valuable right. it's so valuable to everybody whether you want it to be or not it, you're existing and it's like your experiences are being created in your whether you want it to be in your brain or if you want it to be in your soul or you want it to be in spirit it's all being created. You're existing in it. Like your thoughts, your brain, if you, if you just want to be a body, uh, everything you think and every action you do is in, put into the world in a physical form, the way you interact, unless you're just in your basement. And even if you're in your basement and you watch Netflix, you're still creating intention because you're supporting a movie that was on Netflix and that in turn helps all of those actors and blah, 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 blah. You're like giving that $8.99 to a corporation and you're, you know what I mean? So like Mm -hmm. you can't get away from existing and like being something. Well, and being a part of things. I find sometimes, um, and I I am not, I don't understand economics all that much. I'm just going to qualify that before saying this, but people will get really mad at their being like a billionaires or something, right? right? Well, billionaires become billionaires because people buy from them generally. And are there other things at play? Absolutely. I don't want to get into like the complications of that because there's lots of other reasons, but generally like, like Amazon, Amazon created a product that became hugely 
hugely popular and distributes things all across the world in a very, very streamlined way, to be frank. You know what I mean? And and does he necessarily deserve deserve the full bill, however much he is? I'm not sure, but every single one of us who has ever bought from Amazon, whoever does anything contributes to that billion billionaire. And so just saying like, oh, shame on you for being that way. Well, I'm going to go on Amazon and buy my thing. It's like such this weird disconnect. That makes you get away with on it because you are on the cloud and the clouds, most of the cloud space is in an Amazon server and you you are, you can't live your life without being a part of Amazon. Right. Um, I think where the disconnect that that is too is like he doesn't have 190 billion dollars. He is worth that, right. but it's all stock. I mean, he is rich as shit. I mean, like right. he has the power to buy anybody or anything that he ever wants. Mm-hmm. But it's not real like the way that we think that that wealth is real. And mm-hmm. I think where yeah, and is it his right to have to give that back to the people? You know, is like, what's his karma on the other side of that? Like what spiritually, when he passes away, is he going to be okay with like creating all of this disharmony? Like mm. the spirit knows. Spirit absolutely 100% knows all of the things like from the garbage being sold that's like made in China for and really causing mm. harm on your website to you taking 30% from people that are trying to do their absolute best for people. Like, so there's pluses and minuses to the whole system mm-hmm. and spirit knows, you know, like, what are you going to pay on the other side of that? Um, mm. I know that I like, I have a past life that I really remember and it was a really famous influential person. Right. But my decision at the end of that life wasn't um, all of the good things that were praised. It was the really shitty thing that actually harmed people and you know, that was the thing I brought forward. It wasn't like all a culmination of all the good. It was like, what was the lesson that was learned? And it was like, I harmed mm-hmm. all the people. Or like, you know, and like, that's what spirit cares about. Spirit cares about creation right. and love, right? So like, if you're causing not love and you did it unintentionally, you know, where there wasn't an exchange, then that's where you hurt yourself, right? Like, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because anyway, there's like this whole contract thing where, you are mm-hmm. actually a contract cause harm. And I don't think that has the same karmic damage as like um, unintentionally like living life without intention and then right. doing harm. And then you're like left out of spirit, like, oh shit, I did all that stuff. And then you are your own punisher. You like feel you need to fix whatever that mm-hmm. was. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. It's all like super complicated. You can come up with a different hundred million different ways to live life and to understand spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. My idea is that like spirit does exist. I believe that we exist as that. Mm-hmm. And there's no one right way. It's like how you're doing it in your actual life, you know, mm-hmm. and like how does it matter and impact other people? Are you doing your best? Are you like actually not causing harm? You know, like mm-hmm. some of the people that, live the most virtuous life or causing the most harm, you know, because they don't give people their fair due or like are oppressing them by like creating jobs that actually don't cause any kind of freedom. They're just a slave job that you're have to go to and you're barely making ends meet, you know, like, are you actually people? Not really. Are you like, is a banker, like a banker CEO, are you living a life of karma? You're living a blessed life for sure. 
you have a ton of money. Like the guy that, um, I don't know if you remember, like in 2008, like all of those loans that were like, right. And they created these mortgages that were like 200% interest and shit, you know, like that guy on paper, like lived, you know, blast you had a huge house and car. He probably did yoga and meditated and justified in all sorts of ways. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of harm. So like, what does that mean spiritually? Are you going to like, right. how can you justify that? Was that your job to come here and to do that for people so they could experience whatever that was, you know? Um, yeah. That got really off. That's okay. That's okay. Like how it impacts our lives here is right. what matters. Like right. How you're doing here is the big thing. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, I come in terms of that a lot in my work because like, I don't really like charging people. It's hard mm-hmm. for me to like take money for being mm-hmm. in service, but I need to, it's part of my thing. And it's good because it's also, we live in like, we assign value to, money so like if you're giving your stuff away and you're not giving it to the absolute poorest people it doesn't they don't there's no value to it right it doesn't matter if you have the money to pay for something and you don't and it adds value to your life you're going to discount it it's just subconscious how our our world works right so yeah we think something that costs a thousand dollars is more valuable than something that costs five we just innately think that whether or not that is true that is what we have been trained to think that something that's a thousand dollars is going to be more valuable than something that's five. So that's right. And like you assign your own value to it. So like you're doing transformational work and you didn't pay, right. Or like, there's no exchange. It's really hard for yourself to hold yourself accountable because right. subconsciously it doesn't matter. It's like all the courses online. Like I remember when Corona came out, I took like 15 courses that were like seven to $10. I mean, I did mm-hmm. like, yeah. Well, like some of the information was neat, but it's not like I embodied it and like really lived it as a truth because it didn't matter. I was just passing time. Right. You didn't value it. The value is $5 rather than the $120 that the course normally would have been or whatever. Right. So. And like that course probably had enough information in it. Well, it did for sure. Mm -hmm. They were like amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I went back and assigned the value to the course, then it would be like beautiful. But since it was, you know, I was just like, word at home stuck there like the viewpoint wasn't worth like you know really like what do I want out of my life mm-hmm. I want to understand the subject it was just like I need to pass time I'm stuck inside for 14 days <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah so my last question I think and then we'll move on to um just how I end the podcast but the last question I had for you is just um I love your url that you chose is happiness is work and I right. just wanted to know what specifically that means to you. Um, it means that you're responsible for your own happiness. And whether mm-hmm. you want to live happy or not, I think that if we can live in a little bit of a higher vibration, you can have more compassion for people. And that in turn creates a more beautiful world for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes work. You have to look at yourself in a way that isn't your best life, you know, like it takes work to look at yourself. Like even if people like are workaholics, you know, their work is actually giving themselves the compassion to relax and to like, you know, so like, but it's change takes intention and it takes accountability. It takes vulnerability. And all of those things are the hardest things we'll ever do as humans because it involves our own viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's not somebody else just telling you like, lift these weights it like actually takes you 
itself. And it's, it's hard. It's like, it's actually the actual work is difficult. And mm -hmm. it's like the most blessing is to be able to really transform yourself and love the things that you've done that makes you a better person. And then in turn, that makes you a better person in the world. And that's how we can actually impact the people and society as a whole. Mm. I love that. Yeah. When I saw that on your, on your website, I just thought that was so interesting. I'm like, Oh, happiness is work because it it is. I think, I think there are some people who are naturally maybe more happy than others. I was not okay. such a person. So um, I, I resonate with happiness. Happiness is work. So, um, but I, I like how you say that, that it's our responsibility to pursue that for ourselves. Right. Yeah. It's, and that's the real like thing is like, that's when it matters to you because you exchanged your own life force to discover mm -hmm. what happiness means for you. There's 100% people that are out there and just are happy. And like, I've met a few of them and I'm just, I love it. I mean, it's so good because they're pure. You're mm -hmm. like, they're like just happiness and love. And you're like, fuck, I just love that in you. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that wasn't my experience. <laughs> no, mine either. Experience something totally different and mm -hmm. experiencing more and more every single day. So. I love it. So I do a rapid five questions just to end off because I think it's fun. So I'm just going to go through them. Boom, boom, boom. And my, uh, our place is called the Center for Wholeness and Wellbeing. It's a addiction recovery center here in Calgary. Cool. So it's like is that friendly. a new? Um, it's since December, November of last year. Okay. And um, yeah, so we're working hard to give those services back to people here in Calgary. Cool, yeah. cool. Love it. So rapid five questions is okay, ready. <laughs> authenticity is um, personal growth. Okay. How would you describe your learning style? Really working like uh, experiential experiential. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one of the books you recommend the most. Um, Joe Dispendis says supernatural. Okay. I haven't read that one. Um, daily habit or practice meditation and your favorite obscure food choice. Ooh, um, SIE it's from Brazil. I know it might be popular up here now, but it comes in this ice cream down there with granola. Oh man, it's so delicious. It's like, Ooh, that sounds like the, like the berry, the SIE berry. Yeah. It comes as an ice cream down there or like, wow. a, yeah. And, uh, awesome. delicious and yeah, real treat. Cool. 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 Maybe I'll have to try that sometime. I want to, I definitely want to get to Brazil at some point. So thank you, Ryan, so much for coming on the podcast. This is awesome. And I appreciate your time and um, anything else you want to end with personally. No, really fun. I uh, appreciated a real conversation with people. So it was really perfect. Good. Perfect. Thanks so much for tuning into the raw podcast as part of the radically authentic wholeness project. We deeply appreciate you and would love to hear how you're enjoying the show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest review, and share us with your friends and family. By doing this, you contribute to our mission of supporting individuals' pursuit of integrated wholeness and authentic self-expression. Are you interested in joining our community of curious comrades? Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash theraw project. 
Through the various tiers that outline our diverse offerings, you can explore your desired relationship with the project and our growing community. If you simply want to contribute without subscribing to the community, we appreciate your kind donations directly through our website, rawproject.org. We are not backed by any outside organization and our productions are purposefully raw and curated organically to create a listening experience that traverses my unending curiosity and insatiable desire to understand this divine experience we're all co-creating. I'm Christine Grace and I wish you all a radtastic day ahead.